0: Tsubami. He's through on goal, squares it. 1-0. Craig Hignett,
1: the scorer. And the stadium erupts. Downing running to build the fullback. Crips a great looking ball in. Hit it.
0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the Borough Mug podcast with me editor Rob Fletcher. We're here for another season review and I've got two great guests to join me to talk about quite an interesting season in the borough history. So, firstly I'm joined by a um, borough program writer, historian, all-round borough knowledge box that is Sean Wilson. How are you doing Sean? Good afternoon, Rob. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Hope you've got um, plenty of facts and figures and info for us on what was a, a bit of an interesting season. And the other person I'm joined, I'm joined by is ex-podcaster for um, the Borough Podcast. It's And Borough Mag writer as well is James Howell. How are you doing, James? And welcome to your return to the world of podcasts.
1: Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you very much for having me and thank you uh, for inviting me as well. It's nice to be back behind the mic after a few years off. Uh Needed to dust these off and, and, and pull them out of the back of a wardrobe, but it was good to be good to be back on. Yeah, I think
0: there'll be plenty to chat about. I know your uh, your article in the, the latest Borough Mag uh, all about Adama Traore will certainly come up uh, as we talk about it. But I want to start all the way back to the back end of the 16-17 season, really, when we are in the Premier League. And Carranto had been fired after probably an accumulation of things that had happened rather than... You know, just a bad set of results. And Steve Agnew came in. Sean sure, we were getting towards the back end of that season, it wasn't really going that well. We had a lot of new players who'd signed. We'd had players on loan. It didn't kind of look like it was going to be an easy transition into the Championship. What was your feelings as as we
2: basically got relegated in that season? One of frustration, really. It just, it just seemed to be a bit deja vu from the 2009 season. We just seemed to go out with a bit of a whimper. Uh, and I still think I still think to this day, if we'd kept the majority of that side that took us up in 2016 in the first place, maybe added two or three or four quality players in there, I think we would have done a lot better than we did. We just seemed to have a wholesale change. And uh after after Karanka left, it it was just it was just a a total damp squib with uh, with with Steve Agnew in there. And uh I, I really couldn't understand uh the appointment of Steve, he, he seemed to be a very good coach. He had a lot of good recommendations from people, but uh, he just didn't seem to be a a Premier League manager. And uh, it was just frustration. We just seemed to go out with just a whimper, really. But then uh, we see we got Gary Monk in that summer. And uh, every, it was a, a feeling of... We, we'll probably come on to it with Gibbo's comments and that. And... Uh, I was optimistic again, especially when the money started flying out again. We started yeah. to rebuild in areas where I thought we should have done. We, we finally got a keeper and uh, there was a few more exciting players that come in. So I was quite optimistic for that season. Um, but we'll come on to that, I guess, as we uh, we go through it.
0: Yeah, it was a tricky time, wasn't it, James? Because, you know, lots of teams bring in a caretaker, manager, like Sean was saying, towards the end of the season. But... Karanka had very firm foundations that he'd set in the side with his formation, with his style of play. We had a lot of new players in there, but with Agnew, it, it sort of was quite jarring, wasn't it? Because it really, really didn't
1: work at all, did it? Absolutely, yeah. He was he was handed a really impossible task. You know, it was it was such a fractured squad that you could see from the outside. Again, as, as Sean sort of touched on the the original core that, that that had taken us up. You know, the Alia Gibson's. Um, Ledbetter and Clayton's, that sort of, that solid spine that had got us up there was, had it, been sort of maybe tried to be improved on, but tried to do too much. Uh, and sort of the influence of sort of the, um, Victor Otters sort of his players that coming in, there was all that talk about that, how that had added to sort of the tensions in the dressing room, um, had, had had really made it a difficult task for for Agnew. And again, like you say, Agnew wasn't really a long-term solution. It was a case of just getting through to the end of the season. Um which, which, which while we, we were going to eventually get Monk, it seemed a little bit odd because he was onto a good thing with Leeds. He was still employed there. And you know, when, when Gibson sort of said his, his smash-the-league comments, he was sort of saying he had a few names in mind, but he wasn't going to let on about who they might be. Um, but again, with, with Agnew, you know, it was, was, was sort of almost the player's choice, it seemed as well. Um, never a long-term solution, not a Premier League manager. You know, good on him for taking it on and giving it a go. But you know, there, was, there could have been nothing, nothing we could have expected. And and that, that loss to Chelsea when that finally sent us down with with Guzan's uh, hat trick of, of megged goals. goals. Um, you know, it was it was it was comical at the end of it. So there was not much, not much we could do. Um, but but optimism for the next season.
0: Yeah. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because we spent that long trying to get back in the league that we kind of went away from our principles that we've had, really. And I think having a caretaker, manager at any point is difficult. But when you're trying to stay in the league, it's even harder. I think Gibson realised that we probably hadn't had the right go at the Premier League. I think we'd had a go. I think we spent about 30 million, I think maybe 40 million by the end with the January um, signings, but we didn't really have a go. And then he comes on the BBC tees. And I remember listening to it, actually, because being someone who lives in Liverpool now, all I got every week was, oh, you know, Borough's boring, you don't score any goals, you don't attack, you're rubbish, you're going straight back down, all that sort of stuff. So to hear Gibson on the radio saying, you know, we want to smash the league, we want to go up as champions, we're going to invest, we want pace, we want flair. It does get you excited because you do trust someone like Gibson, you know, whatever his detractors might think of him. I mean, firstly, I think they're wrong. But secondly, you do believe that he's going to do something that is going to keep the club where they should be. Maybe it hasn't gone to plan considering the last few years. But listening to an interview like that, Sean, like you say, that optimism does certainly build as well, especially because Gibson's someone who has put so much money to the club. It it did feel like he he knew that it had gone wrong, didn't he? And he, and he kind of wanted to sort it out.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that summer as well, I think we probably... I think we spent more money in 2017 than we did in 2016. Mm. Yeah. You know, so he certainly, he certainly let it made funds available. That that interview, yeah, it seems to be a stick to beating with a lot in recent years, and it's probably been a bit. Uh, I don't. He didn't say we were going to smash the league. He was just hoping that he was saying that we were hoping to smash the league sort of thing. But things get uh, twisted a little bit, and I think it's affected him. bit. I don't think he's ever come out since and uh, done really an interview. Since then. But, yeah, you know, you, you, one thing you can't level at Steve Gibson is, is, is his level of ambition. You know, he, he, appointed, he appointed a manager in Gary Monk who we thought could take us forward and he and he gave him a lot of funds for us to try and get back at the first attempt. And so during that summer, when you, when you saw the players that were coming in, you know, like Britta Sombolonga came in for big money, Martin Braithwaite, people like this. So we, we, he was starting to get, like, pace and uh, hopefully a bit more firepower in the side. So yeah, uh, it was looking good.
1: I think one of the one of the things. So just to jump in there, one of the things about the sort of the, the spending splurge with the players coming in, the volume coming in in that um, in the run up to the, to the first season back in the championship was the hangover from the January window. You know that January window that when we were in the prem was was probably the one that sent sent us down. You know we, we we tried so hard to get all these players, Snodgrass and. Um, Sa and um, Bojan, I think was the other one, yeah. but we all, all we ended up was with, with with Rudy, Rudy Gestede and, and, and Patrick Bamford, which which just wasn't enough at the time. So I think that'll definitely played a part in in just you know this this run up at the championship with you know okay a fair bit more money splashing around just because now we've got the parachute payments for a couple of years that 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 really sort of stoked the fire in the club for that and 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 sort of hope that there was lessons learned. Maybe maybe not in the long run, as we as we went on to see. But um, yeah, that's all, that was that must have played a part in 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 those that volume as well coming through.
0: Yeah, and I think investments is hard at any point in football. You know, we we've seen a lot of clubs who've invested quite a lot of money and not really got anywhere. And on the flip side, we've seen other clubs who've invested really really heavily and got somewhere. You know, all levels of football. For Borough, I think it was a tricky one because as a fan, you want to bounce back you want to be seen as a strong team a strong squad and all those players that we've got in but obviously the manager we'd had previously had had a certain style a certain way of playing and we had a big turnover of players when Karanka was there once Monk arrived as you said before James he'd done a good job at Leeds and he was kind of building a bit of a reputation wasn't he because he was really really thrown was a bit Gareth Southgate at Swansea wasn't he I think he was maybe a a couple of years younger than Gareth I think he was about 33 34 He was kind of player manager for a a little bit, wasn't he? But what did you think when Munk arrived? Because I know when I... When he came, I thought that's a decent manager for this league, but that was about it. Whereas kind of, you know, again, someone like Karanka, where you've got an unknown, you think, oh, he's worked for Mourinho, he's going to be great and all this sort of stuff. Because Munk was a little bit more known, did that cloud what you thought of him or was it an exciting appointment? What did you think?
1: James? Um... Yeah, I thought he was—you know—he was the bright young thing, wasn't he, of English football? He was—he was coming through, like you say, done, done, done really well at Swansea and, and and kicked them on, and then done again. Looked like he might be the one to get Leeds back up and and in the in, back into the Premier League. Um, good, good, good addition for us, and you know it sort of helped that he what he resigned on the twenty-fifth of, of May and was appointed by the the ninth of June, with us. So what, it's a little little over a week, a couple of weeks. Uh, much to the ire of the Leeds fans from what I remember as well. Um, a fair few snake emojis were flowing around at the time from what I remember. Um, but, it, yeah, a good appointment, a promising young manager and, and seemed to be going in the right direction as well. Um, and sort of, you know, the question was whether he could step up with, with with this bigger budget. You know, have, Leeds was, at the time, as was always a bit of a basket case. Uh, they the changed owners a couple of times, I think, as well well and um, Swansea as well had always done things a little bit on a shoestring while they, while they were in the in the top flight they'd never gone too too big on any of the big signings um, so it was, a, it was a big challenge for him and you know all, all the and all the all the signs were there that he would do well um, and you know given a bigger budget he would be able to sort of show what he could really do um, but obviously that was that was not necessarily the way it turned out
0: yeah, it was a, a difficult place for, for Monk to come in a way, wasn't it, Sean? Because we'd just been relegated, we wanted to do well. Obviously, Monk was ambitious, he wanted to get us up, but it but that's still a difficult job, isn't it? You know, bouncing back from a, a manager like Karanka. What were your sort of impressions of, of Monk arriving?
2: Yeah, I was quite excited. You know, I thought he uh, I don't know if I should admit it, my stepdad's a Leeds fan. So he was quite a, he was quite a big fan of Monk's, you know, he he was pretty gutted when he left. Uh, I seem to like I remember his style of football at Leeds Swansea, and at Swansea. It was quite a, a progressive attacking style. So I, I was hopeful, you know, of a, of a good season. One bit that used to niggle me though, he was quite. He seemed he was present on Twitter quite a bit, but it it seemed to be like a management company behind him. You know, he seemed to be very conscious of his image, a bit like Steve McLaren a little bit when when mm-hmm. when he came to us sort of thing. So uh, there was a, always a little nagging. Suspicion were we just like a, another little step up for him, you know. I think, and there's nothing wrong with that. If he's got ambition, he's got ambition. But uh I was never, never really convinced he was hundred uh, percent with a project sort of thing. I didn't know there was just this little just this little niggle in my mind as time went on.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that Twitter account was absolutely gold for about four months, wasn't it? It was kind of like those great atmosphere in the ground, lads, you know, thanks to the fans. Know putting a great shift there, you know all that sort of stuff, and it was really it was always a picture of him in like loafers, wasn't it, with his you know (laughs) casual slacks on and a bit of a you know maybe better than next maybe like a John John Lewis sort of Gile or something like that, wasn't it? But yeah, he never. I've got this thing about borough managers. I'm not sure whether it's just like because he wasn't here for very long. I feel like you can quickly either like them or not, like within a, a couple of weeks of hearing them talk, you think no, not for me. And that monk was always the one where I thought, I can't actually get behind you here. McLaren I kind of did. I was quite young at the time. But McLaren, then like people like Karanka, but Strachan never. actually never really did with Mowbray, really. I don't know. I know that, you know, his part in the club and all that sort of stuff, but he was never like, oh, wow, you know, we've got Tony Moore, going to do this, that and the other. But I definitely did with Karanka, And yeah, I feel like I'm there now with Wilder, but there's that kind of wilderness of Pulis when he comes in and, a monk was a bit yes. of a
1: bit of a no one, wasn't he? Or oh, it felt that way. It was that uh, it did become almost a little bit self-referential that as well when he was sort of putting all these these identical posts up. Uh, it did become a bit of a running joke about the monk bot as well. Yeah. Which he which he sort of joined in on as well. But I don't even mean it did did get that feel that, you know, this was this was the next step. And for however long until, you know, if he could prove himself and he'd be on his way. Which is 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 fine. You know, like you say, there's, there's there's no issue with the ambition of it. Um, but it did seem very polished, very manager uh oriented and, and and almost cliched in his in his interviews as well, which doesn't tend to wash as much anymore now.
0: Yeah, and I think when you give someone the keys to the safe, you kind of want someone who you feel like you can trust. Like if we'd have given him, I don't know, 15 million that first window, 20 million, he probably wouldn't have had the same feeling about him. But we basically invested, as like you said, Sean, more than we'd even spent in the going up in the Premier League season. So it's it's quite a big responsibility. And looking down the list of players, again, it was a really big turnover. We had quite a lot. Of, I'll go through some of the players who left. Actually, Jordan Rhodes left, uh, Victor Fisher left, Brad Guzan left, Victor Valdez obviously left, Bernardo left, uh, centre-back James Husband, De Penna, Stuani, Ramirez, De Forshaw It was a bit later on. Cyrus Christie who came and went... But it's quite a long list of people who left during that summer. But the players that we brought in, let's have a little um, thirty seconds on a sign and just to give you sort of impression of what you like. Sean, we'll start with you, and we'll go with Britta Sombolonga. What was your what was your thoughts when we splashed out fifteen million quid on a striker? Uh,
2: take away the the transfer fee, which which was, which is was a sizable fee. A proven championship striker. I was I, I think we've been dying. We've been crying out for a, a goal scorer, so I was quite happy to see him come in. Somebody who knew the league, you know, he didn't really need to settle into a new style of football. I was, uh, I was optimistic.
0: James well, on uh, Sambelonga.
1: Yeah, much, much, much with uh, with what Sean said there. He was proven at our level. Um, we'd we'd not really had that sort of player, you know. We'd hoped Rhodes would have been that, you know, previous big money championship proven striker. And he never really got up and running, but Asamoah has had had been great. He was a good age, he was sort of mid mid twenties when we signed him. So got him for sort of the prime of his career. Um, had had been knocking him in for Forest for fun for a long time since he since he'd come from Peterborough. Yeah, really, really sort of statement signing. He could have you know easily been top scorer in the league uh, in, in in a half decent side. Yeah, and he still he still scored
0: quite a few goals for us as well, didn't he? To be honest, I mean, obviously not as many as you'd like for a price like that. I always think with someone, if you're going to spend 15 million on someone, they've got to be right for the following season as well. And I always wondered with Asanbalong that if we'd have if he'd have scored his 20 goals, I still think we probably would have had to buy a striker the following season yeah. to be the partner him, play with him or whatever. Because he did he ever have that sort of killer instinct that I, you know, that you think you know I want to play in the Premier League here. I'm going to score 20, 25, and prove you prove you're wrong if i right the next one that was our top sign in 15 million so James I'll start with you on our next one down so this was nine million pounds for Martin Braithwaite what was your your Braithwaite thoughts before he signed (laughs)
1: um again you know a bit of a bit of a mystery you know he wasn't it was a big signing coming from across from from France wasn't he um looked quite exciting Looked, looked a pretty versatile player from you know you can get all sorts of opinions from YouTube highlight clips, can't you? Which were still still rife today, but he looked good. You know, Danish international as well. Um, whether I thought he'd we'd be a stepping stone on his way to Barcelona, and no, <laughs> still not quite sure how he's ended up there. But, you know, just, just just seemed a good player. And after a few games, you could see there was there was a real talented player in there as well.
0: Had you heard or seen much about him, Sean, before he,
2: he actually signed for the Borough? I have to be honest no I hadn't really not really heard of him, but uh, like a good borough fan, we all get excited by a foreign signing whether we see them play or not yeah so, but like like James said, watching the clips on the internet and that, uh, he, you know he looked at he looked at a decent acquisition and uh nine million yeah, still a big fee, but uh, uh, yeah it, I was I was looking forward to seeing how he would uh, play for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I started. Um, I started writing a blog around this time, and that's kind of started writing about um, players that Burr had signed. It kind of felt a bit interesting that summer, and I think that he was someone who had never really scored that many goals. He was a little bit more of a creative forward, and I think probably on paper seemed like quite a good foil for someone like a Sombolonga. You could drop off into space, could play the ball, could lay it off, would chip him with a few goals, but nine million was a lot of money and completing the 31 million pound strike force which is just i mean the fact that that strike force cost 30 31 million pound is just absolutely insane but Ashley Fletcher was the other one james as someone who'd played in the Premier League a little bit and done nothing and been on loan I think he was at Barnsley wasn't he I think he'd done okay for Barnsley but i mean never really set the world like I'm assuming you were surprised that we sign in Fletcher for a fee of seven million pound.
1: <laughs> yeah, this this is the one that when we look back at, at this sort of summer spending, um, always sticks out as the one that we got ripped off on. Yeah. Um, you know, Man, Man United academy product who'd played a couple of games here and there, and he was he on a permanent at West Ham? I think he was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Not not too long before he'd come, and then he'd sort of then joined us. Whether it's the case of one of these one of these players are sort of finding their feet elsewhere, I'm not really sure. But I think we could all sort of go, mm, that does seem quite a lot for 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 someone that is unproven, despite having a few sort of um, first team games, whether at Barnsley or West Ham. Um, again, not one I knew too much about. I played bit parts here and there, but again, did did seem excessive. Yeah, Sean, it's quite amazing that we spent that amount of money on
0: three strikers and. Like we said about Braithwaite just then, about being a little bit unknown, Fletcher was kind of even
2: more unknown, wasn't he, really? Yeah, I, I, I used to watch quite a bit of the under-21s and the under-18s, and uh, I'd seen him play for Man United against us a couple of times, and uh, he used to be up front with Marcus Rashford, and Fletcher was the highly rated one of the two. Right. His career, He had a decent spell at Barnsley, like you said, on loan, and then he seemed to stall a bit when he went to West Ham. just thought it was a lot of money for somebody it wasn't proven whatsoever. Yeah, and you, you could see he had pace. Uh, but what else did he have? And, uh, yeah, we seemed to pay over... We, and at the time, I think we all thought, well, we've paid we've paid a bit over the odds here. Yeah, I think if you but, look but, at if you look at him, he, I mean, if you look at his, his career at the
0: Borough, if we'd have paid two or three million quid for him, you'd probably think, actually, Neo, that wasn't a bad signing. He had some potentially scored goals under Woodgate, didn't he, and played a little bit more of a leading role. But, just didn't really work. And I think what I kind of felt about these three players signing and whatever we think about the second player that I'll mention, we'll park that for a second. But we had Patrick Bamford already and there was no real rumours that I can remember that he was desperate to leave or wanted to leave or people ready for ready to bid for him because obviously I think he scored one goal, had in the prep. And we had Rudy dead as well. Now, this is the bit where we don't want to laugh about the, but in the championship, he, he had a reasonable record in the sense that he probably could have got us 8 to 10 goals if Bamford could have got 20. And that probably wouldn't have been that bad a strike force. And then all of a sudden, we spent £31 million on a whole new one yeah. and didn't get rid of the other two, who I assume would have been on Premier League wages at the time, at least 30-40 grand a week, if not more. It just seemed like we'd put an awful lot of money in that area, didn't we? I mean, we did strengthen in other areas. We've got our... You know, still the captain now. Johnny Howson, who I think was a good buy at the time. Cyrus Christie, I absolutely loved. I don't know what you thought about Cyrus Christie, James, but when he signed and we had like a
1: marauding right back who, fair enough, did more attacking than defending, I thought it was great. Uh, yeah, I thought he was a fantastic player. Um, and I, I still can't believe he, he sort of came and went as quickly as he did. Yeah. Um, I think he'd, he'd really come in. And again, you know, it's important to add context about who he was taking over right back duties <laughs> yeah. from, um, Mr. Fowle throw himself. Um, it was it was worth worth that investment. And again, you know, similar to to Osama Longa, Longa, um, Osama Longa, with uh, Christie is he knew the league. He'd been playing in the league for a couple of years. He was always a good, you know. If if you'd never be surprised to see him in the right back slot of the of the team of the season across the championship, would you? He was always a really good, solid player. Um, they said, eventually, not, not so much, but um, like you say, he got up and down pretty quickly and was, 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 was a decent addition.
0: You have main one, Sean, of that well. There's two main ones left, I suppose. A bit more solid signings, if, unspectac- uh, if not unspectacular. Um, Johnny Housen and Darren Randolph kind of rounded out the rest of the squad, didn't they? And we probably have to say that those two, I mean, £10 million again for two of them is quite a lot of money. But the type of players that we probably needed to
2: sign... They were both really good signs, weren't they? Well, absolutely. Especially, well, I'd say especially, Darren Rand- Randolph would have be been after a keeper for a long, long time, are not you? It'd been a disaster during the Premier League season with, uh, I mean, Valdez. Uh, I don't think his heart was ever in it. And then Brad Guzan. Uh, what can we say about Brad? <laughs> uh, like you said, even going back to Dimi, you know, he, he was protected by a very good defence. So he, he were going back a long time since we had a decent keeper. Uh, and he's probably, even now, you know, he's probably the best keeper we've had in the last 10, 12 years, really, that he was uh, well worth the five million or more. Johnny Housen, again, he, he knew about division. You know, he he played well for Leeds and he played well for Norwich. So we knew what we were getting with Johnny. Uh, I think Martin Daroon was still with us at the start of the following season. There was always talk of him of going and eventually did. So I thought he was an excellent replacement for, for Daroon. And uh, he's proved to be so in the years since. Yeah. I mean, He was probably, it was probably if, looking back over the season, he probably wasn't at the best that first season, housing as well. You know, it was probably the worst season he's had with us in the last four or five years. But uh, at yes. the time when we signed him, I thought, this, you know, it was, a, it was a good signing.
0: It's interesting that they didn't really know what to do with him. Like, they'd signed him as sort of a box the box midfielder and didn't really play him in that role. Well, partly because Monk didn't have a clue what he was doing as a football manager. For six months, but it looked on paper that we had a reasonably good strike force. We had five strikers on the books, and it looked like Monk was going to play a front three. Going in that first game at Wolves, James, we didn't, we didn't really know what Wolves were going to be like. To be honest, they're a bit of a, an absolute machine. That's it. one of the. They are still for me one of the best teams we've ever seen ever in the championship. They might not have got hundred points and hundred goals, like they were only one off, but they were absolutely amazing. Going in the first game, though, did you think? Or did you have that feeling of yeah we're going to be you know top six top four top two
1: when we went into that first game? I think so yeah I think sort of the, 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 there was a real buzz about the place I know it's sort of now it was all all false hope but at the time I think you know, I I'd made the trip to Molyneux that day and it was it was bouncing we we're all sort of managed to to put off the previous season and the and the sort of the disaster that it was in the Prem and sort of there was a lot of a feeling that you know going going up and establish yourself in in the premier league doesn't happen straight away you know sort of burnley was used as the example that had come up and down and gone up and then managed to solidify um so there was there was that expectation there again you know monks monk stock was 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 through the roof everyone thought you know we had, had a real coup because so we need to drop Leeds and come to join us and he'd he bought all these exciting players you know they had a proven player they had a couple of Potential material ones like Braithwaite as well. Um, so we didn't know what to what to sort of expect with those, but the signs were all good. Uh, and and him sort of lining up with a different way as well. You know, he was sort of playing almost three at the back, which was less common than it is now. Back then, um, with 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 a few sort of odd odd nuances and, and changes in that first game, which was pretty straightforward. I think I think it was an Ayala Fell over uh, as as he occasionally did every yeah. couple of months, uh, and then. And they'd scored off after the back of that, but you know there was there were signs there in that first game that Monk was going to do something a little bit different and we're going to be a little bit more of a an attracting attractive entity, um, whereas no longer the four two three one that that Carranca had had cemented in place for the previous couple of years.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a, an interesting way of line up. So the the Borussia was Randolph Christie Ayala Gibson Friend House and Clayton Daroon. Braithwaite, sombalonga and Fletcher which I reckon if we had that team now people will be pretty positive about it and think it was going to do well the Wolves team interestingly this is a a good one so John Ruddy and goal then they had Miranda Connor Cody and Willie Bolly across the back Doherty Saiz Ruben Neves Douglas and then they had uh, Enna Bacare and Diego Jota and Bonatini now there's about four of them (laughs) who still start for Wolves now I think in the Premier League isn't there even like Five years later, or whatever it is, that was a, a crazy team. But he never quite settled after that, did he, Sean? As the sort of season started to progress, it, it became, it felt quite bitty at the start of the season because he didn't really know what he wanted, or it felt like he didn't know what he wanted, and that that started to show up on the pitch as well, didn't it?
2: Yeah, and we we seem to play. We always seem to play with like three central midfielders sort of thing. That was our three in the middle. The clip Clay, Adam Clint was still playing for us. For sure, hadn't gone by then, I don't think. And Johnny House. And... so there always seemed to me to be a bit of a gap between the the forwards and the midfield sort of thing. And they didn't seem to know. We, I couldn't really tell what sort of formation we were playing. It was swapping forwards. I think Rudiger Stead came in for the next game, uh, and we we seemed to go through a bit of a a spate. We were okay at home. I think we had a couple of good results at home, but we were getting battered away from home. I remember going to Forest and I think they put three past us. Uh, Wolves beat us 1-0, didn't they? So it seemed to be a... At home, we seemed to be getting it right. Away, we seemed to... It, it didn't seem to know what tactics to use to try and to turn that around.
0: And It, it just felt like it, it ended up spiraling and it, it was changing different combinations of forwards. You, you'd watch a game and think, oh, Sambalanga and Gosteda working pretty well up front. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll change it next game. I'll put Braithwaite, Bamford and a Sambalanga and it never really worked. But, I mean, there's a game that... Was actually our first away win for a long time, a long, long time, was basically when he unleashed a Dharma Traore on, on poor little Bolton. And I think that probably set up, tell you what, just as an aside, you know, we forgot about in the season that we still had Downing. We haven't even talked about the Downing situation. God, that's, that's like another podcast in himself. But if you don't know, you haven't listened to him under the cosh. Basically, Monk wanted to get rid of him and said, "Well, I don't want to go anywhere at the moment. I'll train with under twenty threes. I'll do you a favor." Then all of a sudden, and comes back into the team because Monk realizes having good footballers in a football team makes a good football team. Um, and that Bolton game is one of the games where we started to play more in that wing play way, didn't we, James? And that just watching the highlights of Adama Traore in that Bolton game is just—it's just
1: amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it was really a, um, a special special performance that and, and one of these ones that, that really sort of earmarks someone's career of him him announcing himself, I thought. um, It'd been been bit parts here and there, you know, we'd, we'd signed him over a year before and no one had really bar the Arsenal away game uh, in the Premier League, really seen that much of him and kind of thought, well, he's just, he's one of these, he's got all these attributes, but like you say with Downing, can't, can't really play football. Um, but that was that was a different game entirely for him. He 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 burst onto the scene like nothing we'd ever seen, and, and, and proved that he could put a crossing, could set up a goal, could get an assist, um, and could 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 frighten teams as well, uh, and give us give us a bit of an outlet. Um, don't think that that many teams were ready for him in the championship, especially early on when he started to get a run of games. But you know, it wasn't without its 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 faults after that. But the Bolton game. Like you say, was, was a bit of a turning point for for Downen as well. Um, he was completely frozen out, and and no one had heard of him really since. And and there's always been that bit of a cloud around him, especially with the, under the cranker era, and whether whether that you know he he was him um, that that were involved in some of the issues that were going on there. But I think you know, like, much like you said, with that under the Kosh episode, he comes across very well in it um and just 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 was happy to prove people wrong and got his head down and 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 was proved proved right in the end i suppose. Yeah
0: it's a it's a funny well, it's a funny story isn't it I suppose the fact that Downing's coming back to the club was difficult for him for reasons out of his control in terms of the manager, how they wanted to play him, where they wanted to play him. He'd been a brilliant number 10 for West Ham. And then all of a sudden he's back on the left and then on the right and didn't quite fit when he probably could have played off a striker really, really well. But we had a few other players who joined that season, Sean, who, who Monk was giving minutes to. Marvin Johnson had signed, so he ended up playing as a... He was like a left-back. Then he became a left-wing-back. Then he became like a left-winger. Then often he'd be like the left of a front three. Lewis Baker was in at that point on loan, and he was playing as sort of a creative midfielder. But we bought Housing, and we had sort of foreshore and... Again, it was those sort of players who ended up playing, but never
2: really seemed to fit in a settled side, did they? No, no you're speaking about the Bolton game there, and that's when he, he seemed to realise we we needed pace out wide. And I think Johnson had just signed for us. Mm. He scored in that ball. He did, he did, he yeah. Came on and scored. and uh, I think Britt, did Britt score twice that game? So I thought oh, this is great. This is, uh, you know, we get we we're going to get Brit firing here. We've got we've got pace down the sides, but it, it, we never seem to kick on from there. We see the next game. I think we went to Villa and drew nil nil. I think I think Adama got sent off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, did we get was Connor Roberts? I think we got Connor Robertson as well, didn't we? He was, was he that season as well? He came in came in as right back. Didn't he on loan from Swansea? Um, but yeah, we we never just seem to we'll have a settled any sort of settled side or formation, it just seemed to change from week to week and you could see it in the results.
0: Yeah. And I think that's disappointing as well, isn't it? When you've spent all that money and you've got a manager who probably got an embarrassment of riches and can't actually decide on a, on a a settled team. I mean, even if he didn't play Braithwaite or he benched Fletcher or some, something like that, at least you would sort of know that he had some principles and he could stick to them and, Like you said, I mean, it's funny that Adama got sent off four minutes into that Villa game after absolutely destroying Bolton completely. But it was kind of indicative of what was going on with Monk as well. And we basically get to a point where where sounds funny, we're either winning or losing. There's really no in-between with the Borough. And there were so many games, I felt, that season where you thought, we're not at the races here at all. He's picked the wrong team. We can't pass to each other. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And... Did you think james, did did you did you think it spiraled out of control for Monk? or it just kind of never got better because you could argue that we were still in the hunt, I think we were only a few places where we off the playoffs. and it never really felt like we were a disaster. but it was kind of it, it never really worked at all, did it?
1: No, and I think I think so sort of the, the the positives or the or the good results that you could take from from those ones were, more accident than than design, really. Um, like you said, there's chopping and changing, and maybe it was a case of that he had obviously bought in, spent you know 30 million plus on a strike force, that he's got to play them all the time, which you know must must be a pressure in, and he must be thinking, well, I've spent all this money, I need to make sure they're all all firing on cylinders, rather than, than than sort of making it work. You know that that first sort of you know um, five, there uh, the first sort like, of ten games. Now, we'd only lost three of those, and they were all pretty, pretty straightforward ones as well. There was Norwich and the Wolves one, which were understandable. They were both running away with the league that season, so you didn't really mind. But some, just some, some bizarre results along the way there. Um, you know, Barnsley two-two, uh, which again was was another one of of Chayore's roller coaster season where he missed the bus and they, they went off without him. Uh, only a couple of weeks after after that that Villa red card as well. So there was that that sort of stuttering and starting. And un- unsure of what what sort of the grand plan was, you know. By by that point, by about ten games in, twelve games in, you should start to be seeing regular regular starters and a, and a sort of a more fixed eleven. We just never got that with with Monk at all, even up until you know sort of game twenty three, Christmas time when when he eventually left. Um, it was it was chopping and changing at every every turn, really.
0: Yeah. It- that, that feels hard to then identify with the team as well, doesn't it? We've got all these new players signed. You think you're automatically going to support them because they're new, you've spent money on them, you want them to do well. We've just come out of the Premier League. We've still got some decent players around, but it never. I suppose it goes back to what we were about Monk. We never really had that real connection with him because we didn't have a clue what he was doing. It wasn't that we were a you know a gritty side who were going to fight till the end. It, it wasn't a side that we felt we were going to play other teams off the park. A really cavalier. We never really had that connection. Do you think that played into Gibson's mind, Sean, when he let him go? Because we were we were we just beat Sheffield Wednesday. I remember being elated that we beat them really late on, just before Christmas, wasn't it? And we were ninth basically after that win. But do you think that disconnect is something that Gibson couldn't really look past?
2: Yeah, I think so. And there were some strange decisions made. I think when we signed Ryan Shotton, didn't we, in the summer? for a decent fee as well. I think about £3 million, I think, from Birmingham. I think that Sheffield Wednesday one was his first game, maybe, and that was in the December. And he scored, didn't he? He scored the winner. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I think so. And I, th- I think there was maybe, thi- there was things maybe going on behind the scenes. Wasn't the Swansea job up for grabs? it was well, and there was murmurings of whether he's been uh, discussing about, the you know, maybe going back there sort of thing. And, uh uh, I just, I just think Steve Gibson just, sort of just because that was a decent win at Hillsborough. Because I remember, mm. I thought, here we go. You know, maybe this could be a turning point. And uh, so there was definitely, there was definitely must have been doubts in in Gibson's mind. You know, like things aren't going right here. There's, we don't seem we'll to have any sort of identity in the side. Uh, and that's why I let him go. I think both managers were released after that game weren't i think the sheffield wednesday manager got sacked after that game as well
0: yeah, yeah
2: yeah i must admit i was i was surprised i didn't expect it no no i was you could see you could see the frustrations building the with the support and that but i thought i thought he would have given them the season something I, I didn't i didn't see that coming at all
0: yeah it was one of the first times in my time supporting borough that it felt a bit weird like we weren't a club that did that i'd gone from robson mclaren southgate strachan's the anomaly mowbray caranka had all been given Decent chunk of time to do well with a team. And we didn't feel like Gibson was someone who's going to chop and change. So we go back to the dark ages and Tony Pulis arrives. Our first, I'm doing it for Steve, manager of the last few years. Um, I remember just being quite underwhelmed and a bit kind of, what is this? I remember being, at, I was at home for Christmas, actually, I was back in Borough. And I went to the Boxing Day game, which I think, did he have one of those watching briefs where they take the yeah. credit if they win, but if they lose, it's the old regime. Yeah, so it was one of them, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. And I remember well, listening.
0: Yeah, I remember Pulis talking and said I've driven up from my house. Well, yeah, obviously. And I've, I've said to Steve, I'll come and manage it. Well, yeah, obviously, because you're standing in front of the, the Middlesbrough FC sign that you're the manager. I've come to do it because, you know, I've always wanted to work for him, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming there's a lot of managers who feel the same, but after Monk James, where we probably felt a little bit excited that we were getting a modern manager, it was a real about turn, wasn't it?
1: Oh, right. I don't think it could have been more of an about turn. Um, like you say, it was. It was. It was. I, mean, I was. I was pretty stunned with it. Really, not only that, that, that Monk had gone and, and and so soon, like Sean said, it was. It was surprising to see the the trigger pull that early. But to to be replaced by tony pulis who uh, be generous to call him ag- agricultural um that was just, just just like where did all these players fit in and where is all this investment gone was was there again no no more joined up thinking um you know good good manager done done some good things at some at some had some impressive achievements at, at, at middling middling sort of clubs but is he the one that was going to spearhead this new sort of Young, adventurous sort of side that we that we'd attempted to build in the summer, you know, where where is is the likes of 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 Martin Braithwaite going to fit in with with Tony Poulos's you know five centre halves on every game sort of thing? It was it was it was shocking really, but a safe pair of hands. I, I mean, that was the only reason I could see, the only justification I could think of for for Gibson's thinking. Um, but it's not like we were in any danger either you know the, the warlock appointment made more sense when we were when we were looking at virgin on, on League one whereas pulis just didn't I, I can't remember any of the other names that were on but the speed of his appointment again you know if monk was out on the on the 23rd of December after the chef Wednesday game and and already the 26th so that's even less time that that either Pulis has been sort of tapped up to, to come and to come and get involved. So even even less time that that Monk was given in, in charge, uh, which again sort of must have been must have been more going on behind the scenes, like like Sean said. Um, just just a disappointing appointment, really.
0: It was quite clear, Sean, that Pulis had very very different ideas about the players that have been brought in. Because even if we just look at the loan players, I mean, I thought Jack Harrison at the time was a good loan signing that we'd got at the end. Of the window, Bessic is actually a player I quite like, and I, I used to quite like watching Bessic because it, he was an aggressive. He's actually been quite good in the Chris Wilder team. Very aggressive on the ball, likes to move forward. You know, maybe doesn't always like to get back. But the players that we loaned out in that um, in that window, a couple of uh, young ones, Conor Ripley, Tav went out on loan, George Miller, but Braithwaite and Fletcher by the thirty first of January were at new clubs now. That is pretty damning that we said before. So those two would cost us £16 million. And by the end of January, the second window they've been at the club, they weren't there anymore. And
2: Christie as well, didn't he? Did he? Christy, that's right,
0: yeah. Christy went as well, didn't he? So three players straight away that we brought in were gone. Christy was actually permanent as well. Wasn't even a loan out. They just got rid of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it gets more bizarre when you think about it now, isn't it? We spent £50 million that summer and then just seemed to rip it up just four or five months later and rip it up in a big, you know, in, a, in, in the biggest way imaginable, you know, getting rid of players. The style of football was as far away from what we thought was going to happen at the start of the season. You know, the, everybody who played in defence had to be six foot two, didn't they? You put shot on it right back, two big defenders in the middle. We had George still playing on the left there. Rudiger Stead was straight, straight into the side sort of thing. It was, it, it was a shock to the system. But like uh, James said, I just think he thought it was just going to be a safe pair of hands trying. Because we weren't that far away from the playoffs when Monk left. So I just think he'd just come in and just maybe nudges into the playoffs, which he finally did. And uh, we'd, we'd, we'd just go from there. But uh, yeah, utterly bizarre when you think about now. Just Just the plan that we had in that summer just totally ripped up. And we're still struggling now, I think, from it. From that financial outlay that we did that summer. We've, we've suffered from it ever since, to this day, really. Yeah, I think we've hopefully got ourselves
0: back on a, a sounder footing, because some of the success that we had under cranky you know, we had Victor Otter around, who I don't always think was maybe thought of that highly behind the scenes all the time, but still seemed to know what type of players were needed to play the system that we had, rather than Who can we buy because we've got the money? And I think hopefully we're in that that situation now. But I do wonder about two players in particular over this next run, over the sort of next few months that basically ended up getting us in the playoffs, maybe three players. So first one is Patrick Bamford, who I I loved when he was here on loan. I'm a massive fan of Bamford. I remember telling mates and stuff like that that. He was a great striker all through those awful loan spells he had after us when he went to like Burnley and Palace, I think Norwich and maybe scored like one goal in 50 or 40 or something crazy. And I, I was kept saying, he, he's, he's a good player. Even when he was at Leeds and he scored goals and then got the Premier League, I said, he's, he's, he's going to go score goals because all they do is they give them the ball in the box and he shoots. And that's what he's absolutely built for and he's perfect for. Bamford, Adama Traore and Osambalanga, who Pulis, you know, kind of ruined mentally, I think. But I think those three players, James, must. I feel like they kind of got together and thought, should we just, when we're playing, sort of listen to what he's saying? But then when we're on the break, just try and really attack and be aggressive because he's literally picked no other attackers in the, in the team. Because that's what it felt like, wasn't
1: it? You thought, oh, we've got Adama and Bamford and, and not much else. Yeah, they definitely sort of think it had been kind of left left to them, really. Um, and, and you know there was there was the positives of of coming in and, and getting rid of those players as well. You know it was a colossal waste of money and probably in the end of it. But simplifying it down, if 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 is way, it kind of works. It's not great to watch and nobody really likes it. But it got got the result did pick up and it was because of those three you mentioned. Um, and even if you do have you know a Sombolonga and Bamford in any Championship team, they will score goals and then if you've got an unknown product like Chairo on on the right who's going to give any any sort of left back in the league a difficult afternoon uh, if not a torrid time then you will have a little bit of success you know it wasn't um, thrilling and, and inspiring football the majority of the time it was still pretty pretty rudimentary and pretty simple uh, which probably our sort of been doing in the end by just having sort of relying on these these three um but it was it worked, you know, and it did did sort of get results at least initially.
0: Yeah, in that in that period of time, just looking at the fixtures and the scorers from basically from the whole game when we beat Hull at home three one, that was the thirty third game of the season, all the way down to the fortieth game of the season, basically either Bamford, Longa or, or Traoré scored in those games, and we were so reliant on those players to move us up the table. Eventually, it became at the detriment of the team because Pulis didn't really have a plan B, which you kind of feel like for a team and a manager who was very experienced, you thought at least there would be a little switch. But as we went into the back end of the season, Sean, we actually won quite a few games. And last four games especially, we bumped ourselves up to fifth as well with a couple of decent wins. Again, not blowing teams away, but, you know, doing OK and scoring some goals. I know Sombalonga got a few towards the end of the season. But we had become quite a one-dimensional team, have not we? Yeah,
2: I mean, even going back to when Pulis first came, we, we, it, our form seemed to switch where we were quite a good home side at the start of the season and struggling away. That just seemed to switch. Uh, I remember we beat, I think we beat Preston in the January we were scoring goals. We beat QPR 3-0 at their place. Uh, but we seemed to struggle at home. You know, the tactics, he just didn't seem to get right for teams that were coming and, and sh- shutting up shop sort of thing at home. And then apart from that, I think we played, we had a really good, we had a bit of a humdinger at Sunderland, didn't we? Where I think yeah. it was 3-3, three, three, I think we yeah, yeah. got a couple and then we played Leeds at home and that was like the Patrick Bamford show sort of thing. He got the hat-trick there, didn't he? Uh, and we beat them 3-0. And uh but yeah, we were if they if they were if like you said if Bamford, or Triori or Britt weren't firing on any sort of cylinders, then we, we were struggling. And it never really changed, did it? We went into the playoffs
0: fifth. So Aston Villa had finished above us, but quite a way above us. They were actually seven points above us. They were more challenging for uh, automatic promotion than fighting with us to get in the playoffs. It was quite a strong. Um, Season that season, we've already talked about Wolves, Cardiff, Neil Warnock's Cardiff, who I I could not bear that team that season. I felt like they had the worst squad that has ever been promoted out of the championship, but they just kept winning because he knew what he was doing. I'm sure – who is it? Is it Callum Patterson, I think it is, who they bought as, like, a right-back who ended up the top scorer with, like, 14 goals because Warnock just lobbed him up front and he just started scoring. Just stuff like that is just annoying about Warnock, isn't it? Then you got Fulham and Villa again. It were two really good sides. Then there was us, Derby, Preston, Millwall, who were kind of there or thereabouts. So we ended up with Villa, and I, I kind of felt like Villa were the favourites because they were just they'd been better than us over the course of the whole season, to be honest. And I think that because we didn't really have a plan B, it didn't feel like, oh, do you know what? If Villa have an off day here, we'll do X, Y and Z and and that'll be fine. And we'll get through it and we'll we'll definitely get a win at home. But it was a pretty disappointing home leg, wasn't it, James? I know we were better probably in the home leg in terms of how we played, but it was a pretty disappointing game, wasn't it?
1: I know it was, it was never going to be a a real sort of classic game with, was it it was Bruce, wasn't it? At at Villa then, a Bruce and Pulis playoff semi final was never really going to set, set, set the pulses racing. Um, but it was it was a disappointing game because because you know while while Troy was was a new an unknown prospect in in the sort of the the autumn when we we're coming up against bottom now he, he was pretty integral to what we were doing. Beautifully got it working and it was just about if you stop or you stop Um, You know Bamford has always sort of relatively struggled with fitness and I'm pretty sure he was out come that end of the season injured um, and and wasn't quite quite the same player so he'd he'd gone. Um, and and you know, Chayori, uh know, can only do so much sort of on, on his own, especially coming up against a, what was a very experienced Diller side as well. It's not underestimated that they would have been in the in the Prem not too long ago. Um and you know, with the likes of Al Mohammadi, uh Chester John Terry still playing there and and Alan Hutton, who was who was the real star of the especially that first playoff leg, where uh I'm sorry, the, the the second playoff leg, um where, you know, he, he managed to just keep a little on Chairoy all game. He's you know, been, been around for since Noah was a lad uh, and and managed to keep Chai quiet, which you know not not many teams had done, but he, he did and he did it very well. Uh and we, we just didn't really have a plan B, like you said. And that that playoff or those two playoff games, Sean, start
0: we started to get a feel really of what the Pulis team was gonna be, didn't we? Four big centre backs, five midfielders, two of them needed to be able to cross, and a striker kind of looking pretty isolated because really that's what happened in those two games, didn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It must be, it's the first time I've seen a team go into the second leg of a playoff trying to defend a one nil loss. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Alan, Alan Hunton was the main man there, wasn't he? He did, he did a right job on Triori, and Steve Bruce got his tactics right. As James said, you know, you stopped try or you stopped Borough really at that point. I think Jack Grealish was he playing for a villa at the time as well. So they had some decent players and Albert Adoma, I think, was playing as well. Uh I, I was so frustrated with the second leg. I think Hutton got a yellow card just before half time. And we, we it was a fairly level game at Villa Park. And I thought, here we go, If we if we can just get in, just get Triori at him in the second half. It just never just never happened. We had the odd little half chance here and there, but it just yeah they did a number on us and and they were the ones going to wembley and we weren't but yeah it uh it did prove to be maybe signs of things to come for the next season seeing how we were, how our team was uh,
1: set up oh, yeah, there was a fair amount of controversy from that second leg from what from what i remember there was the the keeper hand ball wasn't there He was yeah. about three meters out of his out of his out of his early. it was about must have been into the ninety minutes added time when he when he had done that. And there was that feeling that you know it takes something like this for us to get in and get an equaliser because there'd not really been that much on offer. It would have taken something like that that could could have gone our way, could have changed it. But you know, I think that it it sort of showed Bruce's is tactical nous really with it and, and and the strength of of Villa's squad because, like you say, they did have sort of Greenish in there, uh, Snodgrass, Hurrihan, Yedinak, You know, these were season bros much like what sort of um, Pulis would want us to look like uh, that that really sort of made made the difference with that and and, and the one goal was all, all that it took for them to, to to get down to Wembley
0: and I think what's frustrating about those games is when Pulis comes out after the game and says we didn't create enough chances you know we need to create more chances to win the game and you just think but it's because of you like you are the reason why we aren't creating chances and I think if we just think about maybe the legacy of the season, I know, Sean, you've hinted at it in terms of the financial part of it, but from a footballing part of it, we 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 basically just kept on regressing, didn't we? We kept on going back to one target man with an attacking winger and another winger that tucks in or, or whatever. This was probably as good as it actually got for Pulis at the Borough, wasn't it, if you think about oh, it, Sean?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The The next season was just... I've seen some bad times at Borough, probably 18 19 seasons is as bad as I've watched as a style of football. Uh, when you when I was quite surprised looking through the 17 18 season, this season we had some decent results, you know. When I keep thinking, oh, it was just dreadful watching Tony Pulis's football, but we were putting three four goals past some teams, you know, yeah. at times, but yeah, um. That was as good as it got, I'm afraid. You know, we, we we signed a few players at the end of that summer, didn't we? Like Aidan Flint and that, who was scoring 10 goals a season at centre-half for, for Cardiff and ended up scoring one for us. Uh, yeah, just the way it goes, wasn't it? So it was all downhill, unfortunately, from that playoff game.
0: And from a, from a point of such optimism at the start of the podcast, when we were talking about the signings and the money we spent and a new manager, it did kind of feel that way out and... You know, Jonathan Woodgate will continue to get a lot of stick as a manager at Borough and the things he didn't quite get wrong or right. But as a hierarchy and as a club, after having someone like Pulis, it was probably the only way that we could go, just literally rip it all up and start again. Whereas this season, we probably didn't need to rip it up and start again. Like you said, Sean, maybe quoting Orange Juice. But um, the the point was, if we'd have had a better manager or a manager who was a little bit more like Monk, those three nils, those four nils that we were getting and playing attacking football, probably could have carried on. It might have meant players stayed for another season because obviously we had to balance the books. We lost Traore, we lost Gibson, we lost Bamford that summer as well, didn't we? Which basically was the heart of Pulis' team, replaced with players who weren't really as good. James, what's your lasting memory of that season? What kind of feelings does it bring around
1: as a Borough fan, or you know,
0: just for that season, or in terms of, of where we're at now?
1: I think it was it was almost the the, the start of, of a couple of years of flip flopping, like you're saying, from to go from um, Monk to Pulis to Woodgate to Warnock was was a bit of these ones where we're just sort of blowing almost hot and cold on what we actually wanted to do, where we actually wanted to go with 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 the with the team, uh, and, and the pressures on on making sure that we can balance either you know a progressive side or we are just relying on these these sort of tried and tested managers that have been around the block for a couple of years. Um I think I think it was it was as close as we'd got and possibly since to being promoted that season. I think there was in terms of the talent in the squad, um, you know, if, if Bamford was fit at the end of the season, would would things have been different, you know, rather than getting sort of two two 20-minute cameos in, in the playoffs, maybe would things might have been different. But you know, with that, there was that that sort of triumvirate of Tri Bamboa and with that got us up there. And you know, what what we'd do for someone like like Bam, like uh, either Bamford or a now, you know, it is it is that gaping hole that we that we've still got and had then and, and managed to fix. Um, Monk had to go, you know. That I don't think he was a long term solution, and I think there was there was more reasons beyond beyond the team that needed to be. It's just disappointing. Pulis was was the wrong way to go about it. I don't know if there was. I can't remember if there was uh, any a, a, a nice shortlist but it seemed to be straight for Pulis afterwards, which seemed disappointing and, and could have could have made things different as well.
0: Sean, what about you for this season? Is there any sort of things that you can look back on that you enjoyed through that time or is that is it just kind of one of, of of disappointment and not bouncing back?
2: Yeah, just just one of frustration, really, what could, could have been. Uh, for all me knocking of the style of football Tony Pulis uh, played, I've probably not seen a player so transformed under a management and Adama Traore was. It was unbelievable. You know, he's one of the there's not many players get you out of your seat that I've seen playing live for us. And he he was one of it. It was, 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 was a phenomenon. It was just and to think that two of our forward line at the start of that season were part of Barcelona's forward line a couple of years later just make us belief. You know, you and just all the optimism, all the hopes we had in that summer. You know, we've come down from the Premier League. We've got the uh, parachute money, and he was splashing out. We think we have a young, progressive manager in, and then he was just ripped up four, or five months later, and we just never seemed to recover from it. An yeah, opportunity think, missed.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's definitely an opportunity missed. This one, and it's unfortunate that it probably started a decline that hopefully we're arresting at the moment. But if you've got any memories of the 2017-18 um, the, the season, do share them with us when we share the podcast link. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We like looking back on these seasons because there's some really good moments in there. There's some interesting moments. There's always a bit of controversy. There's always a bit of an ineptitude on the borough's part from time to time, on and off the pitch. And at times, it seemed like there was a few of those this season. So thanks, Sean. Thanks, James, for joining the podcast this week. We hope you enjoy it. Please do continue to like, share, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Follow us on social media as well. and You'll see lots of updates about Boris past. But my final thing will be go on YouTube, type in Adama Traore 2017-18 and enjoy yourselves.